stories, big guests, the big picture. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge. Weekdays 1230 to 3, 770 CHQR. One of my absolute favorite things to do. Andrew Lawton here, by the way. In for Rob on News Talk 770. One of my absolute favorite things to do when I'm hosting is talking to authors, and in particular people that have written a book that touches on either a really important idea from society, from the country, from the world, or someone who in this particular case puts forward an incredible story in their own life, not just a story that is based on a premise that so many people would find challenging to accept, but a story that shows a level of growth and humility that a lot of people will never find in their lives, but I certainly hope they do. It's called Dead Reckoning, How I Came to Meet the Man Who Murdered My Father. It's written by Karis Craig, who is actually doing a reading tonight at Shelf Life Books from 7 to 9 p.m., and it's a story about the child of a doctor who was brutally murdered in his own home by an intruder. Now, more than two decades later, there's a relationship forged of sorts with the murderer in prison. And that's really where the story launches off. I want to bring into the show here the author, Karis Craig, who wrote the book Dead Reckoning. Karis, thank you so much for joining me today. It's great speaking with you. Thank you so much, Andrew. Um, it's uh, great to be on. I appreciate your curiosity for the story. The premise is one, like I said a couple of moments ago, that people would never be able to understand because Mm -hmm. the instant reaction from anyone who's never been through this is that you would put up a brick wall between you and and anyone who was remotely involved. What got you to change that? What got you to try to engage, at least in some way? Well, that's such a great metaphor, the idea of a brick wall, because I think there's so many things, um, you know, within kind of our sociocultural context that puts up a brick wall between me and the offender. And of course, um, I took my uh, time to come to a place where I was really curious to contact him. Um, I really started with uh, a new friend who was curious about what happened to my dad. And she was the first of all of my friends who asked me about how my dad died, who then asked, um, do you know anything about the offender? And And of course, I only knew a few things about him, uh, but at that exact moment in time, uh, uh, almost 20 years after the crime, I was just curious to know more. Um, And that's kind of just how the story starts and uh, what I wanted to seek from him. I wanted information. I wanted everything. um, But uh, but ultimately, I did want to break down that brick wall um, and uh, start to understand him as a person and how this person was so intricately connected to my life. And yet, I knew nothing about him. Uh, Yeah. Were you keen or aware of the possibility that you could have been ripping open this giant wound in you by doing this? Mm. Oh, that's such a great question. So um, because I knew that at that exact moment in time when I wanted to contact him, I was in a really good space. So I had um, a lovely job. I had wonderful friends. I had a lovely family surrounding me, a safe home, all these things um, uh, where I was in a good place. Now, I know I was missing something, uh, but I also knew that I had attended to uh, a lot of the immediate traumatic effects um, of losing my father. um, And 
I had uh, kind of built up this wellness around me. Um, and also uh, part of my kind of just disposition or personality is to find out information and seek out that really challenging thing and face um, whatever that difficult thing is in front of you. And so that kind of combination made it so that I was like, no, I'm in a good place. And if I notice that I am uh, start to be unwell in some kind of way through this process, then I'll stop. Or I, I kind of had those, um, those uh, things in place. One of the biggest problems that I could see with someone embarking upon this is that it's easy to see someone in black and white terms when you don't know them. It's easy to hate someone Mm -hmm. that you don't know them. And one of the things I know even in my own life that I've had a great deal of trouble with is when you can't see someone in such black and white terms, when either someone you just can't stand does something nice and you you just can't (laughs) reconcile that or or someone conversely that you love does something bad that, that becomes challenging. And what you did was humanizing in a way, which yes, for the yes. victim could be terrifying. Yes, and very, um, it could be terrifying. It could be many, many things, but that's exactly what happened. And so for me, um, he, the offender wasn't in my fa- immediate family. He wasn't really constructed as a you know horrible, horrific person. We just never kind of talked about him. And so he kind of, the best way to describe him in um, with my own kind of uh, just growing up would be he would be like kind of like a ghost. And so, um, it, so this unknown person, but like in my world, but not that kind of thing. And so, and honestly, after I read his first response back to me, his first letter, um, he described, you know, how he was anxious. And I thought, oh my God, he's anxious about contact, being in contact with me. And at that exact moment in time, he became a person. And then, of course, our correspondence afterwards and meeting him, um, he, uh, sh- I was very curious and he shared a lot about his uh, life, um, his history, and uh, he became a very complex person um, and someone uh, who I had great empathy for. What was, if it had all happened, the first thing that came across as regret or contrition or apology? Oh, uh, you mean from the offender? Yes. You know, uh, that's such a, um, you know, in the letters, uh, you know, he, he uh, at different points in time, he says uh, things like, uh, what, what did he say first, that, um, you know, he thinks about how... Um, thinks every day about how what a horrible things he's done um to eventually where he um sort of apologizes for what he does but we never we never directly really addressed the idea of apology or um regret it was much more about what i wanted so um and what i was seeking was information so i actually didn't go into this thinking i want an apology from him i was actually going into this situation because i wanted more information like i wanted that piece of the puzzle to um, uh, uh, to complete the puzzle, basically, because um, I knew he would have information that I wanted. Um, he would have information I could get nowhere else. Um, and that's ultimately what I got from him. What did you want and what did you get? Um, so there were kind of these, like, uh, I, I went in thinking that I really wanted information uh, and I got that. Um, but what I really went in, uh, but not necessarily entirely conscious of was to uh, to be even more well so um, which sounds kind of weird but uh, I kind of had a general um, uh, sense of unease uh, from the moment that he uh, committed that crime and uh, I didn't know that I was sitting with that kind of unease my whole life uh, but 
eventually I, um, I I wrote to him for a really long time and I met him and all of those letters uh, each letter um, I started to feel better. I started to enjoy my life more. I started to feel more confident. Uh, and by the end, um, which I describe in much more intimate detail in the book, uh, I, um, I felt more free. And so, and I had no idea that that was going to be an outcome of the process. But what information did you think that long after, with this having mm-hmm. already gone through the justice system, was desirable or, or constructive? Oh, that's such a great question, because I think, you know, the justice system, the courts, trials, uh, the parole hearings, the um, the news coverage of all of that, um, it, it covers like one part of the story, right? Um, and I wanted to know other information. I wanted to know what's this guy like? Um, what's his uh, family history like? Um, I, so I work in uh, in child and youth care or social services. And of course, um, I've uh, been, since I was uh, a young child, very curious about, you know, why do people do things that they do? Um, uh, who is responsible for doing them, right? Uh, at what point do we become responsible for what we have done and the harms we've committed? Um, and, uh, and so I wanted to know kind of that up close and personal information about him to understand why this horrific crime happened uh, to my family. Um, and so through the letters, especially the letters, um, uh, because there was that kind of safety in the letters that you could, uh, you know, construct them how you wanted to, both me uh, and him, um, I found out uh, an incredible amount of information about him and uh, what led up to the crime, you know, um, even just the crimes he was committing before. Uh, that was enlightening. Um, but I also learned uh, things that, for example, he didn't, Uh, know anything about my father. He only knew, um, circling back to your original question, is that he only knew what was described in the courts and the criminal justice process system. He didn't know that my father was this joyful, wonderful guy who was so skilled and so curious about people and uh, constantly seeking out mm. some new thing to learn, and so uh, he—that was also something that we um, that we covered, and that was incredibly satisfying. Let's talk then about that first meeting and your mm-hmm. nerves going into it. What you expected? You had an agenda, obviously. You wanted information. Explain how that process unfolded from the moment you walked into the room that he was in, or he walked into the room you were in. Yeah. So we met about three quarters of the way through corresponding. So we corresponded for about two years. Um, about three quarters of the way through, um, I uh, asked to meet him. Um, we, the restorative justice workers came with us. So one that was um, spending time with him in Alberta and one that was spending time with me in British Columbia. And uh, we went there and um, I had complete control. So I had control as to whether we even went through with the day <laughs> um, uh, or when I invited him into the room. So we set up the room and um, they, the restorative justice workers, just waited until I was ready um, uh, to bring him into the room. And uh, I was, um, I, I really just hoped for myself that day that I would be um, as present as I could be if I was angry, if I was um, sad, if I was happy, um, any of those things. I just hoped that I would be whatever those feelings were. I just didn't want to hide anything or feel bad about anything, those types of feelings that often victims um, feel. Uh, And so uh, I had control about when I could bring him into the room. And as soon as he came into the room and I saw him, uh, I saw... um, I saw his demeanor. Uh, I um, 
uh, heard his voice, uh, all those things, it just then became a conversation. And I mean, the whole time of that meeting, it was just a day, um, I wasn't nervous uh, because I think I had uh, I had written to him for as long as I needed to before I was ready to go and meet him. And so if you asked me to meet him earlier, I wouldn't have, I would have felt uncomfortable, but I think I was ready to do that. And um, the whole day uh, was quite comfortable. Um, and uh, because I prioritized the need to feel entirely present. So if I wanted to ask a question or stop the conversation or redirect it, I felt entirely comfortable to do that. And that's, um, thank goodness for the wonderful restorative justice workers who kind of facilitated that and um, the offender's uh, respect for me and what I needed. I think he um, really did respect uh, the fact that I came in there um, wanting to know him more, uh, but also to get more information and uh, and just experience each other because we had been writing for so long. Karis Craig joining me on the line, author of the book Dead Reckoning, How I Came to Meet the Man Who Murdered My Father. Uh, do you have time to stick with me through a break here and chat some more? Of course. All right, great. There's some more I'd like to get to here, in particular about what's happening now and, and where things are now. That's going to be up next in a couple of moments here. Andrew Lawton in for Rob here on Afternoons on News Talk 770. Back in a moment. Welcome back to the program. Andrew Lawton in for Rob here on Afternoons on News Talk 770. I'm having a fascinating discussion at this moment with Karis Craig, author of the book Dead Reckoning, How I Came to Meet the Man Who Murdered My Father. There's a reading of that book, actually, tonight at Shelf Life Books from 7 to 9 p.m. Karis Craig joining me on the line now. Karis, thanks very much for sticking with me through the break there. Let's fast forward from that meeting you had, and mm -hmm. this man went free. Yes, so uh, he's out on full parole, so um, that's slightly different than went free. <laughs> um, so he was, um, after a long period of time of doing gradual short releases and then eventually day parole, he was granted full parole on um, the last parole hearing, which was this past August. Um, which is, uh, of course, the, the following month in September was the 25th um, uh, year of the crime. Uh, he uh, served his full sentence um, and uh, uh, was approved for full parole. Uh, but, of course, he will um, always be supervised by Correctional Service Canada for the rest of his life. Did you play a role in those parole hearings? No. So, uh, oh, sorry. well, kind of. Um, so I went, uh, after I finished writing to him, I attended all of the parole hearings um, uh, just as an observer, uh, as um, uh, victims have a, registered victims have a right to do that and their support people or media, et cetera. And so I attended those parole hearings. Um, and But I never wrote a victim impact statement, uh, that type of thing that, that victims are allowed to do. Um, uh, it was important for me to write what I wrote to him in those letters and uh, then I just wanted to observe the process because, of course, parole hearings are the, the offender's uh, application for various parole. It's not, um, even though victims are allowed to attend and write a victim impact statement, um, you have to be silent. Uh, you uh, you feel kind of just kind of like a token uh, participant. And so um, I'm really glad that I did this whole process before that because otherwise it would have been an awful experience. Having had interactions with him through the letters, mm -hmm. having met with him, was there for you a feeling you had one way or another about whether he was deserving of parole? Um, he, 
n- not really at the time. Uh, I didn't really, um, that wasn't really my concern. And in fact, the, pro- the a number of parole hearings afterwards, he was denied a couple of his applications because he didn't have a good enough plan, et cetera, for, for those releases. Um, and so uh, the, the two are kind of loosely connected. Uh, but um, at the last parole hearing, uh, he did say he was asked, uh, you know, what was something that's, um, you know, changed because he, he, he presented quite differently at the last hearing than some of the earlier ones. And the parole um, board, who had some of them had been there at all those meetings, um, were curious to know, you know, what what changed for you? What's, you know, you've shown this kind of uh, this more more of this insight. And he said uh, it was the um, contact with me that um, really influenced him and some of his change and growth. I have to ask, as challenging a question as it may be, is there any forgiveness for him from you? You know, um, I you know I think about this a lot, especially as I'm asked of more. I um, it's not something that I really seek, uh, especially if you attach the idea of forgiveness to the idea of um, apology and uh, that kind of, kind of thing. Um, however, if you look at the actual definition of forgiveness, it's all um, it's very much this idea of release and letting go. And uh, I for sure have uh, uh, achieved that through my correspondence with him and, and contact with him. Um, I. I, even though I still have unanswered questions and there's still inconsistent information, uh, there was this huge, um, by the end of writing to him, I had been able to kind of release that and released all uh, control or hope for further answers. Uh, and that was quite freeing for me. Um, the parole hearings kind of just add confusion mm-hmm. <laughs> to the mix. And so um, so I kind of just, um, I'm very glad that I did this process with him. But there isn't any motivation or incentive for you to meet with him now that he's on the outside of the prison system? No, no. I know that for some people, um, that is something that they want to do for some uh, victims of crime um, and who have contacted their uh, their offender and, and, you know, they develop some kind of uh, camaraderie relationship and continue to um, uh, connect. I have absolutely no interest in that. Uh, he, um, I contacted him when I wanted to and I stopped contacting contacting him when I wanted to, and um, I have absolutely no interest in contacting him again. I really appreciate your frankness on there, because I think a lot of people would like to take something that's very painful and turn it into a very nifty Hollywood narrative, and I don't think that's authentic. Yeah, no, no. And, you know, that's um, I think that's the risk of some of these stories is that unless you kind of get right into the nitty gritty of the the, the intimate, intricate uh, details of what's going on, it can look a little too glossy, a little too perfect. And this is this is a complex case and it continues to be complex for me. I go into some of that complexity in the book. And so I hope your um, readers or your audience will um, pick it up and uh, take a look at the story in more in more depth. But uh, there's there's still unanswered questions. It's still um, you know uh, bothersome. Uh, but uh, um, but that's the way crime goes. It's always indeed. Um, it's, yeah. Indeed, Dead Reckoning is the book. How I came to meet the man who murdered my father by Karis Craig. Karis, thanks so much for your time today. Really appreciate it. Oh, thank you for your curiosity. All right, all the best to you. When we come back in a couple of moments, a final wrap up of today's editions of Afternoon. This is Andrew Lawton. Stay tuned. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.